I'm here at the House of Strauss with Ethan Strauss. Mm-hmm. His Substack is House of Strauss. His podcast is House of Strauss. He is um, one of the most popular sports writers on Substack. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, from what I can tell, ranks number one. <laughs> and, and it's like you and John Canzano, which is great. I love I'm a John Canzano reader. reminded of Home Improvement, where they were always saying with uh, Tim Allen, he's like the fourth most popular tool man in the state of Michigan or something like that. Hey, I'll take it, man. I'm very happy with, uh, very happy with whatever status I can accrue. Well, Substack's on the list. I mean, there's a lot of big picture stuff. Uh, he also wrote the book Victory Machine, The Rise and Fall of a Dynasty. Yeah, I, I got that right. It's, it's a very really good book. The breakup of the Kevin Durant Warriors, yeah. I guess is what I would call it. Uh, but I was watching this morning, I, the clip came across my YouTube uh, algorithm of we're almost 30 years since the OJ chase. Oh. And uh, OJ's holed up in his house. You can find the clip very easily. And Peter Jennings is anchoring ABC. And they get a call from an eyewitness. Mm. And the guy comes on. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm looking at OJ right now. <laughs> and then he says, Baba Booey. It's a prank call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Al Michaels gets on and says, now, Peter, lest anybody think that that's a real witness, that's a farcical call. He... <laughs> so I thought of that this morning. I thought of you because I thought, lest anybody think you're just a Warriors writer, mm. what I learned about you this year coming on your show and reading your stuff is you have your Brock Purdy and a 49ers <laughs> content fan. So I thought we would start with like probably the last thing you'd expect, which is do you have any draft crushes oh, yeah. for the upcoming NFL draft? Because I know you've been studying the film. Oh, yes. I've been breaking the film down. I'm really more of a fan than an analyst of the Niners. I enjoy it. I... I'm fascinated by all of you guys out there in 49ers YouTube land, and I like talking with friends of mine because there there is this weird feeling when you're watching a YouTube star where you almost don't assume that other people are watching them, and then you'll have a conversation with a friend, and it's, wait, 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 you know Vish? You know about Vish? I, I, I didn't know. I thought I was the only person who knew about Vish, you know? Um, and so I, I like all that content. Now... I've been breaking it down with the draft because you need to be ready for a few different, you know, a few different uh, outcomes from the Niners' perspective. Are they going to trade Ayuk? If they do, then maybe you have two draft picks in the first round. My draft crush is Troy Franklin right now. I, look, last I, week it was Xavier Leggett. The well, wide that's my from South Carolina. more of sleepery, but he's oh. maybe getting a little too much heat on him. He's less of a sleeper with Leggett. I, he jumps off the screen and the highlights his speed, but I wonder about his spotty production before last season. That's one of the that's a situation where you need somebody to fill in the blanks. You know, why is this guy just suddenly good? What happened before? Troy Franklin, I just it just looks simpler. It just looks like he's been good. He showed up to Oregon, he was good. The production is good. If he didn't pan out, you would be a little bit surprised versus uh, Leggett, where, I mean, you wouldn't be surprised because he only had one one decent season. So I, I look at him, one of the reasons I'm intrigued by him, I think you got to go to the scene of the crime. you got to look at why did you lose, right? And there is all this conversation about it, and much of it is pretty focused. But one takeaway from that Super Bowl is that he played well enough for them to win, and yet they really scuffled and struggled in the third quarter. So what do they need? I know the conversation is about how they need offensive line help. That is true. But they also don't have an optimal receiving core. They don't. 
And I feel as though the talent around Purdy has been exaggerated to try to help explain him. Because when you have a guy last pick in the draft play well, then we need to just make it make sense to ourselves. And we go, oh, he must have just this incredible talent all around him. I I know Nick Wright has called them the Avengers and there's good talent. It's the best running back in the league. Ayuk is good. Debo can do things. I, you know, with him, that's a whole other conversation. They don't really have a burner. They don't really have somebody the defense is scared of. And when I go back to that Super Bowl and I think about how Spags went from those zone coverages to just man up and sometimes not with a lot of help and back and sometimes with cover one. People might point to Purdy's arm strength, but I've seen him hit those deep passes. I know he can do it. Um, I just I just don't think that's a choice that they make if there's a guy who can run 4-3 and plays like it and can stretch the defense. So that's why a guy like Troy Franklin, that's why he intrigues me so much, and that's why you know I hope he's still there wherever they're picking. Yeah. Uh, I think he's – I like Troy Franklin, as I told you, as someone who covered the Pac-12. Um, I try not to be – I try to check myself and make sure I don't like – the guys that I know too well, but he's he's a classic. Just run and throw him the ball, and he'll go get it. He's yeah. fast. Uh, he's the best pro prospect that receiver that Oregon has ever had. Whatever that means, I mean, doesn't mean much. But mm. but they also had a very explosive, efficient. They were very efficient offensively. Uh, good run game, e- excellent run game actually. Yeah. Um, but he was the true number one receiver. So like he was the guy that everyone keyed on, and still he was really productive. I like him. But to go back to your point about the scene of the crime. Um, I think everything you said is true, but uh, to me the game came down to two moments in time where Steve Spagnuolo won the chess yeah. match over Brock and Kyle. Yes. Third down and fourth, the two-minute warning, third down and four uh, at the end of uh, the Niners' first overtime or only overtime possession. And uh, so I think one big area where Brock can get better, and Kyle will have to help him here, give him maybe give him a little more freedom in terms yes. of adjusting protection, yes. recognizing protection. I think, I think Ayuk was open more than he got the ball. Um, and I think the pass rush was a part of why he didn't get the ball more. I think it's really hard when you have elite corners, two of them, like Kansas City did, to say, well, we just we get a little better. I don't think there's any guarantee that Troy Franklin gets open on those guys. Mm. Um, and I think the thing that Ayuk does really well is he's a precision player. Yeah. And Brock requires a precision receiver because he throws with so much anticipation. That's a great point. So – Yes, if they had had a guy that could get open, yes, that would have been the difference. If they had identified the blitz properly, that would have been the difference. Yeah. I think there are you can go to different things that would have been the difference with them. And I disagree a little that they're not compl- – I think they are a complementary group. Mm. They could be more complementary. Oh, no, I like, think they're complementary. Don't, don't get me wrong. And I think Ayuk is great. I'm not, I'm not trying to slight him. And to be clear, Ayuk saved the season – by catching, he probably saved the season in Green Bay by catching that diving slant route. Right, you almost take it for granted because it all works out. You're uh, not, you're not talking about the deflected ball. No, the, defle- the deflected ball to me, the deflected ball is kind of interesting to analyze because that's the one people seized on as, oh my God, what a luck strike for Purdy. I feel like you can almost see the the upside and maybe even the downside in Ayuk on that play where he is a precision route runner. He's a really good football player, but he's more of a possession receiver. So he has the DB one-on-one. What happens? The DB gets on top of the route because Ayuk is a more of a north of a 4-5 guy uh, than a real burner. 
and also outcompetes him and bumps him backwards. I don't think the the ball was overthrown. So Ayuk, he he sort of shows maybe a little bit of the downside by not getting on top of it, by not beating the DB. But then he shows the great Ayuk upside and what's so fantastic about him, which is the concentration and the catching ability to catch the damn ball off the guy's uh, <laughs> the guy's face deflection. Yeah, yeah. And so. To me, it, it showcased a little bit of both. The one that I'm I'm citing more specifically as saving the season was in Green Bay on that final drive where it would have been fourth down after that. And that was not – it was a weird play because it was where the ball needed to be from Brock, but it was also a very difficult catch in wet conditions laying out for it. And it looked – after he did it like he hadn't caught it. So, I mean, he was very important to them. It's just a situation where I wonder if strategically they can they can press and push some of these defenses differently because they don't have that. Debo doesn't scare teams over the top like that. And one of the reasons why I wonder if Spags would have gone to such a defense with a guy who's really fast or, or Troy Franklin People make it about throwing deep. It's not necessarily even about throwing deep. It's about if you're playing cover one or cover zero, as they did on a few plays, a guy makes a mistake, it's a touchdown. It just because off a short completion, right? You know, a little bit of a missed tackle and boom to the house. I, I felt as though Spags was more comfortable taking those risks because the 49ers didn't have scary fast talent in the receiving core and i know it's fashionable right now to be a responsible person and go we need o-line o-line is the thing that is needed and to be steady and sturdy but maybe i'm just somebody who likes the bells and whistles and i'm i'm just intrigued by uh, building out the top passing attack and trying to make it uh even harder to defend in a different way that's why i like asking about the niners even though you don't like cover them every day in the way you used to cover the Warriors every day. Mm. I do know I do expect uh, outside of the box takes. You know, and if Debo could have just gotten open within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, again, he actually yeah. with the ball in his hands is fast enough yeah. to take that for a touchdown and he could not get he couldn't get open. Much air to breathe. There was no. one crossing route where Brock threw it low to him. Yeah. He well, kind of lollygagged on the route, though. He lollygagged a lot of those, and he's been getting crushed by uh, that QB school guy, JT. I know. I've I've kind of gone the other way on Debo, which is he played like he plays. Mm. The ball he didn't get on Trent McDuffie, he never gets that ball. No. He doesn't get that ball on Ambry Thomas. No. I watched practice. He doesn't mm. catch that ball. No, and that was a play where McDuffie just made an incredible play. But what he doesn't get you is that separation before the play. Right. Um, and he just doesn't. It's weird. It's If only he could think he was holding a ball when he was running his route, he would somehow be faster. I don't get it. But he was probably hurt. Um in that game, he didn't look like himself, but the effort also wasn't there in a lot of those plays. And, you know, it's, it's a bit of a sour taste because he has won playoff games for them and he has made the deciding play in playoff games for them. But in that one, he was a massive detriment and um, likely the difference between winning and losing. Um, so, but it seems like it, it might be easier to say, hey, I don't want to trade Ayuk, I'd rather trade Debo. But as you guys have covered, it just doesn't seem like that that makes sense given yeah. value and financials and everything else. There are no easy decisions when you're good. There's no. only easy decisions when you suck. Um, yeah. So I want to go back to the book oh. as it relates to the Niners, hmm. your experience covering a dynasty. What they did was they had all these 
stars. Yeah. And then they did what you what you can do in basketball is just go get another star. Yeah. And it worked. And they had Kevin Durant, and it was amazing. Um, so from your experience with dynasty building and dynasty breaking, the 49ers are not a dynasty because they haven't won a championship. But yeah. they've had a – I saw a um, – it was called like the dynasties of pain. Mm. And this five-year run is top ten in yeah. the NFL for like as much as they've won without actually finishing the job. It, it's nearing Buffalo Bills 1990s-esque. It's getting to that territory. You lose one more Super Bowl and now we're in that range yeah. for sure. Yeah, right? we're, we're within striking distance. So yeah. – can this? I think a lot of people are setting this year up as a, um, uh, you know, last dance. Mm. And I don't see it that way because no. they have a young quarterback. Yes, yes. And I, I'm a bigger believer in that quarterback than a lot of the media. And so I, I view it as, hey, he might have missed his shot because it was such a great shot. And you never know when you're getting back. There's some beeping. Somebody is trying to get into uh, an like office. The House of Strauss? Somebody's trying to break in. Um, uh, so with with Purdy, yeah, I'm optimistic. I, I love what I saw. You, you look at the All-22, you could find some throws that he would like to have back. Uh, but a lot of times guys weren't open. Spag, Spags outsmarted Kyle, frankly. He threw... Uh, he threw the man defense at them in the third quarter. He went away from zone. You covered that. And the 49ers didn't respond quickly enough. And if you're a football fan, you likely know that there are routes that are good against man and there are routes that are good against zone. And it appeared as though the Niners just didn't have the right routes at that critical point in the game when the Chiefs changed up their strategy. And I felt like Purdy did really well, but I would say that about the year. I feel like it's underrated. He had the best passer rating. He had the best QBR. That doesn't mean he's the best quarterback, but it's oddly dismissed in some quarters of the media and just not believe that the guy is doing what he's doing. I happen to, and this might be a radical belief, I happen to think with quarterbacks for the most part, what you see production-wise is what you get. We don't have many examples historically of a quarterback going to a new situation and just becoming a dramatically better player. It happens about once a decade. You'll get a Rich Gannon. Maybe you could say Geno Smith for this decade. But for the most part, quarterbacks are helped by the talent around them, but they tend to produce what they produced. I watched the Chargers growing up. I grew up in San Diego, and Tomlinson, you might have said, hey, maybe Drew Brees isn't as good as we think because Tomlinson is there, but Drew Brees goes off to the Saints and shows that, no, he actually is Drew Brees. After Tomlinson, Phillip Rivers basically was Phillip Rivers. So these arguments where we're trying to we're trying to overanalyze it and try to figure out why this guy somehow is some kind of pumpkin and it's all fake. I just don't think that's true. I think we should be optimists. We should go, this guy's 24 years old, uh, led the league in the meaningful categories, and this is the engine for growth, as you're saying, and why we shouldn't be looking at this as a last dance. It's a lost opportunity. It's depressing for 49ers fans. It's painful. But you might have this guy for a decade. And it's funny how few people just want to believe in that. And I I happen to feel differently. I can't predict the future. But I actually think that Nick Wright, enemy of the Bay Area right now, has a good point sometimes because he'll be arguing the anti-Purdy position and 
then saying to his interlocutor that, well, you don't believe in him because I say, is he elite? Or I ask, is he elite? And you, you, you buckle, you, uh, you know, you, you pull back from that. Right, right, right. I think it might be time to just start saying he is. It might be time to start saying, why do we give these quarterbacks who don't do as well more credit? I mean, what's with that? Like, why do they get excuses? Like, like who? What's an example? How about Lamar Jackson? These playoff performances are horrific. I, I, I mean, why, why am I looking at quarterback lists right now that have Lamar Jackson above Purdy? Why? He wasn't top five in terms of uh, the production. I think there was a bit of narrative to it. I get it. I totally get voting for him for MVP. There was that showdown between him and Purdy. He was way better. Purdy threw the four picks. But... I, I think that's a guy right there where this isn't incidental. This isn't just small yeah, sample size. I mean, but the answer to that is easy. What's the answer to that? Because it's really hard to get people to not trust just what they see. Yeah, and he has crazy—I mean, the guy caught a pass to himself. I mean, <laughs> he has crazy highlights. He also has 26 sacks in his— what, what's it been? Has it been seven playoff, playoff games or something to that? Like 26 sacks he's taken? You know what would be the exception to that, by the way, is I think people would really, if they, if you walk to a basketball court mm. and you get to pick any four for yeah. your team, I think you would know very quickly who the most efficient players are. Because when you're picking a basketball team for yourself to play on, mm. you're thinking about how much I get the ball. Yeah. And efficiency really matters. I think that'd be the one time where people actually would make the correct Interesting. Well, but I don't want to overstate it either because I mean Lamar Jackson's clearly good. I mean I'm not I'm not trying to say that he's not good. Players like him are harder to get. We think. I'm just saying there's something weird going on with Purdy. Yeah. Where Jordan Love submits one of the worst playoff halves you'll ever see this side of Joe Flacco. And the conversation was more critical in the aftermath of Purdy. And it's, well, and the Packers can feel great about Jordan Love going forward. I think they should. I, I really like a lot of what I see from Jordan Love. But what did he have? He had, what, 79 yards on something like 18 passes and two of the worst playoff interceptions you're ever going to see. Yeah. One that decided the game. And it's just not even... That's not part of our calculus. We both know if Purdy had that exact half, that there would be a conversation about whether he should still be the quarterback of the Niners. And right. so, hey, maybe I'm defensive of Purdy, but I feel like I've seen this movie before in a different way. I'm not saying that he is Steph Curry. Steph is a little bit more like Mahomes in terms of his magicalness. But people forget, for a while with Steph, there was a lot of, this guy's not actually doing what he's doing. This guy, no, this guy's not. What was your first year covering stuff? Uh, well, I was around the team since around 2010 to 2011, but I became an official beat writer in 2014. So you were there when he showed up. You were there when they yeah. drafted him. Yes. And so what was the, like with hindsight now, what were the signs then that weren't clear then that are clear now when it was him or Monte, when it was, can you pay him because of the yeah. ankle? $44 million, are we sure? Right. Yeah. Like, what were the what were there any lessons from that that applied to the Niners? Yeah, one of the lessons is that if somebody has some sort of just advantage, they can build their game on that. That's at least true in basketball. And with him, obviously, the big advantage was the shooting. I remember making that argument, blogging on Warriors World, that he has this, like this thing. If we isolate it is better than anybody else's thing. And then you can build counters to that big advantage against the defense. 
Um, and I think that's one of the lessons. With Monte, the lesson was, this is maybe similar to the Lamar Jackson conversation where sometimes there's highlights and then there's the cumulative experience. And with Monte, Monte as a cumulative experience was, I think, very not good. Uh, but if all you did was watch the occasional Warriors game or the occasional highlight, oh my God, it's incredible. But when you were watching, he's pounding the ball at the top of the key and just it's dreary and overall the result is not too good. Um, so I think, I don't know if these are good lessons. I don't know if I, nobody's first saw Steph becoming one of the 10 greatest players ever. Um, but I certainly you know, I certainly believed in him as somebody they should build around. And I certainly wanted them to keep him and not Monte. By that point, it was just clear that Monte was quite detached from the team. I have these memories of him kind of coming into the locker room and he had a turkey sandwich and his headphones on and interacting with nobody and uh, just kind of showing up and leaving. So when they got rid of him, it made a lot of sense to me. Um, now, if I'm drawing an analogy and I'm wondering, okay, well, can this be applied to football in some way? With Purdy, the thing that doesn't get talked enough about is that he throws the guys before they're open. That appears to be something he does better than anybody else does. Now, maybe there are some well-warranted doubts and people wondering about how sustainable that is, but you saw in the Spags interview that he did with Baldy that that's really frustrating to a defensive coordinator. <laughs> this guy throws before the receiver makes his break is something that is difficult to account for schematically. He said a couple times guys were in the right place, but he still made the throw. Yeah. Like defensively. That's what the Ravens were kind of saying after their game. It was like, we kind of knew where to be. Yeah, yeah. But it's hard to know where to be when, you know, the ball the ball is out before the receiver even and does he what he you're does. going to be there too. Yeah, exactly. So... I'm bullish. I, I look. I, I get football's a little bit different than basketball. It's higher variance. People have believed in quarterbacks before, and then they kind of, you know, they go the way of Carson Wentz or that Nick Foles. With basketball too, right? It can. Jordan Poole looked like the yeah. heir apparent, and now he's the worst contract in the NBA. Yeah, it can happen with basketball. With football and quarterbacks, it seems to happen a little bit more. But I just find myself to be far higher on Purdy than a lot of other people. And it might be owed to, as you say, my outsider's kind of insider perspective where I'm not a part so much of the media culture around football or around football. That doesn't mean I'm right. I'm not saying that this means I'm correct and everybody else is wrong. It just means I have more of a perspective of going, yeah, this guy's killing it with his stats. Maybe he's as good as his stats say. What if? (laughs) Yeah, and we don't have to live in the world where, boy, if you drafted, if you left every team draft a quarterback, Lamar would go, Lamar with a different OC. Right, he's got Kyle Shanahan's as coach, just like Joe Montana had Bill Walsh. I mean, people do a lot of that hypothetical stuff where it's like, oh, my God, if the 49ers had this quarterback um, running their offense instead of Purdy, and I go, they would have the top-rated pass offense because that's what they had. They had the top-rated pass offense. So I don't know. What, do you, what, what are we imagining here, that they would be scoring 55 a game if they had? I don't know. I mean, I, the way I see it, if you're asking me to rank it, I think that you could quite appropriately rank, obviously, Patrick Mahomes number one. Um, and then after that, if people want to say Josh Allen, I get it. With Allen, it's interesting because he's got that dual threat 
he's had some really good playoff performances. Unlike Jackson, where it's like all but one were bad. Uh, you know, he's had these great playoff performances, but he often makes some sort of catastrophic mistake. I think it's, I mean, he fumbled the season away in the final drive. It was miraculously recovered, and then he couldn't hit receivers uh, against the Chiefs. But if somebody wants to say that guy's two, that's fine. That That's cool. If somebody wants to say Burrow three, uh, he's hurt a lot. But God, I mean, any Niner fan has to respect Joe Burrow after that regular season game. Uh, even if it was the maybe high point of his season, it's just that guy can really sling it. And then after that point, I'm comfortable putting Purdy there. I just am. I mean, I once again, the question I put to people is, why am I giving these other guys credit for producing worse? Just what is it about that? Why should I do that? You know, I, I don't... I, I don't that doesn't that doesn't make sense to me at a certain point. I don't think the Niners have the Avengers. I think they have a very good offense. Yeah, prize picks is where it's at. Prize picks, America's number one fantasy sports app with more than five million users. I've been using it and telling you about it for months. It's the most fun and exciting way to get in on the action while you watch your favorite sports and players. We're not gonna talk about my Otani less season long pick quite yet on his home run total you just pick more or less of two or more player stats for a shot to win up to 100 times your cash for example this week on prize picks you can go anthony edwards more than 29 points and nikola Jokic more than 10 rebounds playoff time's the time to join because star players mean more on prize picks keep an eye out for the starred players on the board and you could receive a 10% payout boost if they're in your winning lineup. So right now, download the Prize Picks app and use the code HAM50 for a first deposit match of up to $100. Prize Picks, code HAM50, first deposit match up to 100 bucks. Prize Picks, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Butcherbox.com slash ham and another special deal. Free for a year, you get salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips in every order for a year, plus an additional 20 bucks off right now at butcherbox.com slash ham. Been telling you about it for years. Been eating it for years on a regular basis. Easily find high-quality meat and seafood. You can trust 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork-raised, crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. Always be prepared with meat in the freezer when you get butcherbox.com slash ham delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping. Butcherbox is offering you free for a year plus an additional 20 bucks off either salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips in every order for free. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash ham and use the code ham to choose your free offer for a year plus get $20 off your first order. What's up, everybody? It's your old friend, John Middlecoff. I'm here to tell you about our friends at Game Time. Here's what I need you to do. Go to your smartphone, download a little app called Game Time. Baseball season's in full swing. Oracle Park. Been there a million times. Never doesn't live up to the hype. Go get yourself some garlic fries, a brewski, maybe uh, some ice cream. They have very good Ghirardelli ice cream there. And when you do that, Promo code HAM. So download the Game Time app. Your first pair of tickets, promo code HAM, H-A-M. Save $20. The A's, only going to be in the Bay Area for the rest of this season. You probably can basically go for free. Just buy a pair of tickets to any baseball game, 
They also have comedy shows if you want to check one of those out, or concerts. Game time app, promo code HAM, save yourself $20. We don't even need a thank you. Just hammer that promo code. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, maybe this is underselling Brock, but you know, to the Avengers, the superhero point, the thing I've said about Brock is his, his, the his, one of his great superpowers is consistency, and consistency is kind of an invisible superpower. You definitely don't see it right away. There's no way to know. I don't know if Ethan's a person that's on time because he showed up mm. on time once. I need three years of data that tells me. Mm. You know, I probably don't need three years. <laughs> but I just think that's like it probably have, if you're going to be an exception, you really just have there's a greater onus on you to prove, just like there was on Steph, just like there was on Drew Brees. Yeah, when you don't look, you know, the that's part. why I laughed. I said this Thursday morning. Like one of the stupidest draft conversations was for after Brock was good last year. People saying like. This is going to change the way the NFL drafts. Like, no, it's not. Mm. They're still going to take guys in the seventh round. They're still going yeah. to take the athletic, big arm guys in the first round. And some guy in the fifth round is going to flame out, and some guy's yeah. going to be good, and nothing changes because well, he's an exception. And that's the way with exceptions, you don't make new rules. The Draymond, remember after Draymond, it was like, oh, the next yeah. Draymond, Denzel Valentine. Everyone thought they were going to find the next Draymond. Well, they, nobody did. Yeah, but they tried. So, they tried. Yes. So, so I but guess it was a fool's errand. It was a fool's errand because, again, similar. It's funny, we find these basketball analogies where somehow Brock Purdy is both Patrick Mahomes and Draymond Green. <laughs> who, he's very different in so many ways, but you can find find comparisons and Draymond is one of these guys where for years there's just been this he's not actually doing what he's doing you know this is he got put in the perfect system and I think to myself there was no system until Draymond Green showed up Mm. I think Draymond is annoying and that prevents people from giving him the just credit uh, that he is so owed. He is the best defensive player of his generation. He said that he thinks he's the greatest of all time. People can argue he has an argument. In the post three point line era, he has an argument. He revolutionized NBA defense. I mean, how many people are you going to be? I think Zach Lowe said this, but how many people are going to be asked to guard Jokic and asked to guard James Harden? And we all just shrug whenever that's the assignment for Draymond. Right. Um, he ushered in this whole trend of switching everything. But with him, there's been this whole, well, he plays with Steph, and he has Clay, and if he was on the Pistons, then he would suck. And I, I go, no, prime Draymond Green on defense was a monster. He would have been a monster for anybody. They did not roll out the red carpet for the second-round pick and go, here you go, you can play with Steph Curry. No, he had to, uh, what Steve Young keeps saying about the Super Bowl, how you have to grab it from somebody's bloody hands, he had to <laughs> grab the role yeah. and be so undeniably good that they had to play him because 
I don't think Steve ever really liked him. I think Steve... As a player? I think as a presence, right? And I, look, I'm not trying to get aggregated. I don't think I'm telling tales out of school. I think he's been annoying to Steve. But Steve's also smart, and he recognizes the value that Draymond has. But it's not like Draymond was kissing Steve's ass and endearing him to Steve. It was just a circumstance where he was too good, David Lee got hurt, and it just had to be Draymond because he was that damn good. But he's one of these guys because he didn't fit a model and he didn't fit an archetype. And he was drafted in the second round, which, I mean, it's we don't really do Mr. Irrelevant in the NBA, but not much is expected of you when you're drafted in the second round. And it's just difficult for people to go, oh, okay, he's actually, he's actually doing what he's doing. He's actually that great. Yeah. They try to come up with a contextual explanation. There are guys... We try to come up with a contextual explanation to make their quality of play make sense. And then there are guys, guys who are drafted top 10, where if they're good, we just go they're good. We don't go Joe Burrow. I mean, those two receivers that he has, I mean, who has a receiving you know, receiving core like that. It's true, by the way. And I think Joe Burrow is great. I'm not making the argument to detract, to detract from it. I'm just making the observation that because he was so highly touted, that's what people will go to versus if, uh, I don't know, Joe Burrow never became who he became and that Browning guy did and he was good, then we would obviously be going, look at those three receivers. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Uh, Mahomes has proven he doesn't need Tyreek, but nobody was saying, well, he has Tyreek during the Mahomes. So, yeah. so Purdy is Draymond. I think there's actually, I think there's a lot of similarity there just in terms of it took a while to believe it. The statistics probably tell you it very clearly. Yeah. What took longer for your eyes to acknowledge? Well, and Draymond has anticipation. I mean, this Draymond is... would probably hate this comparison too. By the way, would he be offended by this? You think? No. No. I don't think so. I mean, it depends. He defended Purdy recently because Purdy's a weird. It's weird. Purdy is just this magnet for everybody's baggage, right? Where um, <laughs> y- you know, a, a, a Cam Newton resents Purdy, perhaps, or maybe maybe that's not. I don't fair. think he does. No, I, he he's a good takesman, Cam Newton, because he he did the move. It's such a good move of dumping on Purdy before the Super Bowl of showing up to media day with a. Game changer or game manager shirt, right? And then after the it said, Super Bowl, are you a game changer or a game manager? Yes. And his yes. whole his whole crew, he had like a crew of like nine people doing yeah. a show. They were all wearing the t shirt too. So smart, takes wise. And then he does the classic move. This this is the that separates the great takesman from the shoddy takesman, which is after the game. He says Purdy played well. He blamed Shanahan. That that's the great that because it's the whole like you're expecting him to take his victory lap, and then he goes the other way. That's uh, that's how you play the media. But game. also doesn't end. The, doesn't say I was wrong. No, because then he can't use it again next year. No, no. It's so he's he's on the train. Yeah, he's he's good at that. But Purdy is you know he's a, he's a magnet. Players that felt overshad overlooked. You know, I think Richard Sherman, for instance, uh, he he seems to really. Um, like Purdy for a variety of reasons, but I also think he sees a little bit of himself because he was a drafted low and not believed in, and that's big for Richard Sherman. He was a, he was a college receiver that him and Harbaugh did not get along yeah. at Stanford, and they moved him to DB. Yeah, and then he has what I would say is a Hall of Fame career. Yep. Um, and 
Is he going to Hall of Fame? I mean, I, I think so. I yeah. think he's Hall of Fame. I think he should be. But DBs, it's unfair. The big travesty, I will say, from a San Diego perspective, uh, is that Rodney Harrison is not in the Hall oh, of Fame. I thought you were going to say Lorenzo Neal. Uh, <laughs> Bay Area. <Made> a fullback. <laughs> I mean, Lorenzo Neal was very good for those teams, but it's yeah, a hard one. It feels like Rodney... I hadn't really looked at it. I would think he'll eventually get in, given the Super Bowls in New England. I don't know of a guy with the production he had who isn't in it. And, I mean, just an incredible player and the most feared, intimidating hitter of that era, but also a guy with great ball skills who came down with a lot of interceptions. Um, so, And he had a football life about him. Yeah. So and now I'm starting to doubt myself. I'm going, did he make the Hall of Fame? And I didn't know that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure Ronnie Harrison is not in the Hall of Fame. I'm pretty sure he's not. So, yeah, that one well, We needs, can uh, Google that after. I'll edit this out. Yeah, 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 yeah. That one needs um, to be corrected. God, there's so much good, like... I love your takes on big picture media and and not just as an observer, as a participant, since you are a participant in the evolution of media. But I had this – I wrote down – I pulled out my phone to read you this uh, quote from J.J. Reddick that I'm sure you saw on Wednesday. Mm. I can do a video on my podcast where I break down the last nine games the Pelicans have used Zion Williams as a primary ball handler, and it will get 54,000 views on YouTube. But I want to call out a coach yesterday, Doc Rivers. Oh, and that gets tens of millions of engagements. So that's the ecosystem we live in. So do fans not? So do fans actually want to be educated or not? Oh God, what a humble brag! Fifty-four thousand, only fifty-four thousand on your video. Yeah. Oh yeah, you're practically just wasting your time doing that. Yeah. Um, sorry, what, what did you want to ask me about this? So my question to you is: Is he asking the right question when he says, "So do fans actually want to be educated or not?" Well. Sorry about that. This is a problem with drinking soda. This is a problem with drinking soda stream while being interviewed. Um, the answer, of course, is that some fans want to be educated, and some fans want other forms of entertainment. Hundreds of thousands of people watch the QB school videos, breaking down the all twenty-two in granular detail. Sometimes in these videos that go over an hour long, so there is obviously an appetite for something like that. But I find the comparison to be totally absurd. Really, you're going to fault what fans want when you're roasting your Hall of Fame coach? I'm sorry, that's more interesting than Zion Williamson being the ball handler on a team nobody watches. That's just, maybe I'm a Philistine, folks, I'm sorry. Maybe I'm just some sort of blithering idiot that prefers the content of J.J. Redick slamming Doc Rivers to whatever the Pelicans are doing uh, with their offense. I think that's just, that's not about fans being dummies and if you're failing to connect with them in explaining the strategy i think you got to look in the mirror i I don't like this whole blaming fans about it fans want to know about the games they just don't want something arcane and boring um when i started covering the warriors they had a play that really resonated with fans because i think it was digestible and it was elevator doors Mm. and it was this play where two screeners right in front of the three-point line would come together like elevator doors right in front of the defender chasing Steph and the defender would slam into them and Steph would shoot the three-pointer and I remember Gary St. Jean would always be yelling elevator (laughs) well I you know I'll take a little bit of credit for helping popularize it because I didn't know what it was and I asked them what it was and they said elevator and I saw it take off um, and I started to see announcers say it when when it was happening in the games. And 
generally with basketball, that doesn't happen, and we don't explain why whatever's happening is happening out there. Yeah. And I think it's because it's it's complicated. There's jargon. But in the case of elevator doors, we had found a way to give it a description that made it make sense. You go, oh, there are elevator doors, right? I get that. I understand that. Um, I think that's your challenge if you're trying to explain strategy is to find the right metaphor. Because even if what's happening out there is complicated, at its baseline, there is a simple story about what one team is trying to do and what the other team is trying to prevent. I'm a big believer in uh, the physicist Richard Feynman's uh, his, his rule that if you cannot explain something simply, then you do not understand it. This was one of the most brilliant men in the history of the United States. He was called upon to explain why the Challenger crash happened. And he explained it using a paper cup in very simple terms Mm. because he knew the specifics just that well and had an interest in conveying it. And so I really don't like that approach of castigating the audience um, and blaming them for having the wrong kinds of motivations. I think that there is a fantastic appetite out there to know more about the things people are interested in. People who watch your content and who follow the 49ers, they don't just want cheap you know, cheap clickbait. They want substance. They want to know more about what they're interested in. So I just don't, I don't agree with what Reddick said. I find it to be a bit of an annoying humble brag. Oh, 54,000. Somebody looked it up. It was actually 30,000. So that was a little interesting <laughs> right there. It's kind of funny. Well, I love when, you know, guys become part of the media, which is literally everything other than playing. If you're talking about it, you're either a fan or your media and act like, well, I'm only part of some of the, I'm only the high level stuff. I'm not, well, you're mm. on first take every day, yeah. which is fine. Like I actually have no beef. I got no beef with any of those shows. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but what, what's the – who's the ho- – Thompson's last name, the Plain English podcast from The Ringer? Um, oh, uh, is it Alex Thompson? No, it's not Alex. But Derek Thompson? Might be Derek. But regardless – It's a Thompson. He, it's he not said, Ben Thompson. He said, it's not ben, he said something recently about the um, New York Times about how you know the lifestyle stuff is what funds the, yeah. the war coverage. Yeah. And it's not that nobody wants the news. It's that 54,000 people want the news and 3 million people want the Doc Rivers thing. Yes. And some of the people who want the Doc Rivers thing want the news. And yeah. some of the people that want the news will also want the Doc Rivers thing. Well, but it's not one or the other. It's not about them having a stupid interest because that's human. The, that's criti- right. the critique he made of Doc Rivers that's is right. that he never is accountable. This is the exact critique that's being levied against Kyle Shanahan right now. That's interesting. That's Shakespearean. We're talking about pride. We're Different talking about words ego. coming from, though. Oh, yeah. Um, One's a guy who played for him, and the other is... Yeah, I would say. No, that's going to make the news the when you... I, I think what I think happened, what I think went on right there, people wouldn't admit to this, but they don't... They get more than what they bargain for sometimes when they're seeking attention. Yeah. I wrote an article in the free press about the Cavender twins, uh, TikTok stars slash basketball players. And they objected, I think mostly to the headline, but they went after me. And I was talking about with my friend because it was a bit of an uncomfortable. Their lawyer did too. Um, or their, their lawyer went or after their agent. Their agent, yes, yeah. their agent did too. Um, and I was talking that week, but it's a little uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable when you're in the news. Um, you know, you might be well suited for it or better suited than other people, but for 99% of people, it's not fun when you're being criticized publicly. 
and I was talking about my friend and he said, well, you didn't do this article for your own site. You did it for this bigger website. Well, why'd you do it? And I go, well, I guess I wanted, uh, you know, get my name out there, you know, more engagement. And he went, well, looks like uh, you got what you wanted. Good and hard, you know, you, you, uh, you, you got what you wanted and, and you don't like it. And I think this happens sometimes where somebody is on a platform and they're aware that this is going to get a big reaction. And I'm sure Reddick felt that way. He saw people dumping on Doc, right? You know, it's now safe to dump on Doc. And he wanted to get on that train. I, I think he meant what he said, but he wanted to get on that train. And then... When it's international news, you go, oh, I don't feel so good. Like, oh, this is a little queasy for me. Yeah, I wanted to hit him. I didn't want to punch him I that just, hard in the eye. Yeah, and I just didn't know people are criticizing me, maybe, a, maybe asking some uncomfortable questions about what I was doing in those playoff series. Yeah. Uh, he was not good. Uh, I, I, I feel like that's the unsaid part because people don't want to admit that. It would be, it would be weird if Reddick went on first take and went, Look, I meant what I said about Doc. I just wish I hadn't said it because now I feel uncomfortable. (laughs) But instead it comes out as, why do you stupid fans like this? Why did you make me do this? Why did you just? Why did you give me more than what I asked for? Why didn't you just praise me for my for my one, Zion take? I only Ugh. asked for one scoop of ice cream. You gave me seven. Yeah, I think now that, I have a stomachache. That that if I were to psychoanalyze from afar, I think that's, I think that's what's happening right there because I've been in it. I've been in that mix a little bit, not to the degree of him because he's actually famous. And I'm just. Would you do it again? Would you write that article again? The Cavender thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would do it again. It was worth the week of. I didn't enjoy. Yeah, I didn't enjoy. I don't enjoy that. I, it, it lasts for about a day, and it's wildly uncomfortable because you feel like. I remember when Kevin Durant went after me, yeah. and I turned on the TV, and I'm watching ESPN, and they're having an argument about whether I'm good at my job, and I'm going, "This Who is arguing." Man, you know what's funny is it's blurry to me. Like I, I remember Stephen A. was talking about me, but he was kind of on both sides of it because he respects journalism. Like, however, and then there's that <laughs> turn, and there was only so much that I could consume. So I remember he was talking about me, and then there were players. Tracy McGrady was taking shots at me. I was watching T Mac yeah. criticize me on television. That was the one. I'm going, I can't watch this. This is crazy. This is too weird. You feel a little bit like you're in Game of Thrones, and they're doing one of those. Uh, I will be your champion fights over your fate and you have nothing to do with it. And then you realize something, which is that this is where these athletes live. This is the headspace they're in. Right. And yeah, that's what the money's for. And we expect them to cope with it and deal with it. Don Draper. But we are, we are not designed. We are not designed for that. Or at least the vast majority of us aren't, which might explain why, you know, some of these athletes get a little bit weird in the social media age. Have you talked to Kevin Durant lately? Nope. Do you think you will again? I mean, I'd like to. I, I, the weird quality Kevin has is that nobody hates him. Nobody dislikes him. I mean, he, you know, went after me and was trying to embarrass me in front of a national audience. And even I don't hate him. There's something about him that's likable despite despite the difficulties and all of that. And I've because you could empathize with the position. I think it's just something about his personality. Yeah, I think when he's running, when it's good, and he's not in a mood. He's just a really easy guy to talk to, and he's a lot of fun to talk sports with, too. He's somebody who could uh, have a radio show 
and has a bunch of takes and everything. So, no, it's no great desire. I'm not trying to broker a sit down with Kevin Durant. I'm sure he wouldn't want to do it, but I've got no issue with him. And if you ever, if you ever wanted to come on the House of Strauss, I, I certainly wouldn't say no. I just don't anticipate that happening anytime soon. Last question for you. Bigger draft bust. James Wiseman. Yes. Trey Lance. <laughs> I'd say I'd say Wiseman. I'd say, I'd say I know I said yes before you got to the Lance, but a lot of it just has to do with how the story ends. And there was no Brock Purdy uh, at the end of that whole Wiseman experience. There was a championship that was just kind of incidentally won without Wiseman's help. So I guess that's a happy story. And part of that story was made the more remarkable because of yeah. The yeah. fact that he failed as a pick. Yeah, but you know, you, you take a hit from Lance, you lose this draft capital that's disappointing, but you ultimately get Purdy, which, again... I, th- it's this underrated is, how absurd it is. This is part of my pro-Purdy agenda. Yeah. I, I, I Just the way people talk about the situation is totally backwards, where it's like, oh my God, he fell into the right situation, he got so lucky, it's just, he saved everybody's ass they would all be fired if he wasn't just randomly good i mean my god it's just unbelievable uh how much uh the credit should be flowing in that direction versus the other way but um yeah i think you've got to look at the context uh of the situation we're talking about a bust and yeah they both have been tremendous busts but in the case of wiseman him being a bust has hindered them for the next decade. If they had drafted Tyrese Halliburton instead of Wiseman, and God knows, I wasn't pressuring them to do any of this. I think that was a really hard draft. Yeah. My opinions on it all sucked. We didn't have a complete college basketball season. It was the pandemic. I get missing on it. But if they had gotten Halliburton, which the advanced stats said to get Halliburton, but he was another one of these situations where he didn't look like he was doing what he was doing, so you don't you don't pick him. Um, if they had him, then you just look at, oh, my God, what's their title window? What's their next 10 years? Uh, in the case of Lance, I mean, it happened. He failed, but it hasn't hurt them beyond not getting a few draft picks. So, you know, it's got to go wise. The quarterbacks that went after him. Would not have all, would not have solved their problem. There's that as well. You know, uh, he played. I looked this morning. He played. <laughs> he played 17 college football games. Football games are more significant yeah. than, col- than basketball games. It's more than five times as many college games as James Wiseman played. Wow, wow. But yeah, now Wiseman was Wiseman could teach you a lot about basketball just in superficially looking like he's doing the right things, but giving you a master's class and what actually matters and wins because you start noticing all these things that aren't being done. What they say in jazz, the notes that aren't being played. Um, But yes, I I will go with Wiseman there. Wiseman, that is sticking with the Warriors and haunting them right now in a way the Lance thing is more like a, phew, phew, that was a, could have been really bad. I can't believe we dodged that ball. Oh my God. Uh, All right, we got to go. Last thing. Last, last thing, because you're a smart guy. Uh, any uh, any books? You're, you got a bunch of books on the shelves here. Any books you're reading? Anything you would recommend? Oh, man. I've got a bunch I would recommend. Um, 
I got to find one for right now. I'm looking at Joseph Anton, the Salman Rushdie memoir. That would be an odd one to, to recommend. I could but recommend that. I like that one because he had the fatwa and nobody has ever been in a situation like that before. That's a, a, a totally underrated thing. <laughs> Derek Thompson. That's the guy. His book is on your shelf. He is. Yeah. Hitmakers. That was given to me. Okay, this is a name is drop. Is the same Derek Thompson? That, that is the same. Okay. Well, I think it's the same Derek Thompson. I have not read that one. And uh, that was as a little bit of a name drop sent to me by Sam Hinkey when I started House of Strauss. So I should actually I should actually read that one. Um, yeah, there's some weird ones there, like uh, Reality Hunger by David Shields. He did the best interview with uh, with Ichiro of anybody um, and wrote a very odd book about following the 1994 Seattle Supersonics. Um, and then there's a biography of Joseph Stalin there. <laughs> a critical biography, I should add. And then uh, I was sent Rich Paul's biography, See which that? I haven't read. Yeah. But I need, to, I need to get on something new. I mean, we have people on. Uh, we discuss their books sometimes on House of Strauss. Uh, and that's one of the things I like doing because it forces me to take on something new and not get rote. And those aren't necessarily the podcasts that people listen to the most when I have an author on, but I think it forces me to expand because if you're just drawn off kind of the routine and the regular, uh, it can get a little bit stale, but I need to, I need to go with a new book. I need to choose something. I think there's a lot of truth to something Brock Purdy said this year about, he tries not to hold, he was talking religion. I try not to hold on to anything too tightly. Mm. And I think the same applies. I've learned this in what I do. I think it applies to a lot of people who are trying to, you like, you try so hard to follow every bit of news that you actually lose some perspective Mm. as opposed to letting go a little bit of what you think it is you should be focused on. And suddenly you get all kinds of new ideas because they're in a place that you weren't looking. I, I'm now looking at the books. Um, Talent was an interesting one. That's one that uh, Tyler Cowen, the economist and blogger, wrote with uh, uh, with a partner. And it was funny. I interviewed him about it, and he's just such a basketball fan. And the conversation yeah. we were having on that podcast was about whether Jokic could really do it because the Nuggets hadn't won the championship by then. And it was just – it's funny some of these people – um, outside our sports world who have very intense opinions and very well-studied opinions on the sports that you wouldn't expect. The other one I would probably most recommend on that shelf, uh, Conspiracy by Ryan Holiday on the dissolution of the Gawker Empire and the battle between Peter Thiel and uh, Nick Denton. I think that is a fantastic book. And if you're interested in Deadspin and its rise and its fall, it's covered in that book. So that's the one I would recommend most on that shelf. How do you feel about your name? Uh, you've got this, um, your name uh, can be taken uh, as sort of a generic uh, way to refer to a person. Is that something that you got tired of? Uh, is it nice to have one of these three-letter names that a lot of Israeli people have? Is that nice in its own way, just for simplicity's sake? Do you have a longer name that I'm not aware of? I don't. Italians will ask me if it's Gaetano. Ah. And Spanish-speaking people will spell it with an I. Mm-hmm. There was a period in my life where it annoyed me, like, you know, like middle school probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, young, I remember the first time that I found out that it was not just my name is when, like, the FedEx guy said, you know, somebody delivered something to the door and he said, hey, guy. And I said to my mom, how did he know my name? And she said, well, he didn't know your name. That's a thing people say. Um, and then, uh, you know, probably like high school and on, my dad was in the Air Force, so we moved a lot. So I was constantly mm. introducing myself to the first time for people, yeah. to people, right? So it meant 
every two years I'd get somebody going like, that's your name, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then I started to really enjoy the fact that it was unique. Yeah. And um, the uh, I've only met one other guy, mm-hmm. Guy McIntyre. Yeah. Which only kind of counts because I went up to him because I knew his name was Guy. I have not mm-hmm. ever bumped into somebody and, said, and they've said Guy and I've said Guy. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah. So um, I like that. And, uh, you know, I've I said recently that I was telling John this. If I thought about it 20 years ago, I would have changed my last name to Guy also, like Bull Bull. Guy, Guy. And then Guy, Guy. <laughs> guy I think guy. the move would have been to really <laughs> lean into it. Guy, Guy. So, yeah, that's well, the story of my name. Well, one second. Like, Good to be on your show. Yeah. <laughs> Ethan Strauss, thanks, man. Thanks for having me.